Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. Uh, we have a beautiful wintry day here in Maine. It is, it's kind of like a snow globe outside. It's very beautiful. You just drove over here, Kellen. How are the roads? Oh, the roads are totally fine. I'm just so happy to see a little bit of snow. It's been a real bummer winter so far. Well, because you drive a Subaru, right? No. no you don't I'm drive not, a Subaru. I'm not that Vermont. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What do you drive? I drive uh, an HRV. Ooh. Okay. I was going to say. <laughs> so yeah, you got to drive something up here that yeah. really like, sticks to the road. So yeah. Um, yeah, super pretty. Middle of winter. We're loving it. We want more snow up here. Angie Davis is with us today. I'm super psyched about this. Angie Davis is the president of Fight Colorectal Cancer, aka Fight CRC, a national organization focused on colorectal cancer research, education, and awareness. I may have a little bit of a personal interest in this, <laughs> given my status as a stage four CRC patient. Angie, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Awesome. So you are in the Midwest? I am in Missouri. So we just got snow. We got three or four inches last night. Oh, oh, you're you beating did? us. I think we only got like one. Come on. <laughs> that, oh, man. I, we, how many years have you been with uh, Fight CRC, Angie? Since 2011, but I've been working in colorectal cancer for nearly, gosh, I say 15, but I think it's starting to head towards 20. Yeah, you're I'm definitely rounding myself. up to, to 20. <laughs> yeah. In my profession, I say I'm 15 plus years. That's all I say. I know. I'm 15 <laughs> plus years. <laughs> so prior to 2011, when you joined Fight CRC, you worked at the University of South Carolina's Center for Colon Cancer Research. And based on my um, looking at your pages and bios and stuff, I'm pretty sure you serve on every committee and advisory board that exists to combat colorectal cancer. I yes? try. I try. <laughs> So give us the Cliff's notes on Fight CRC. How long has it been around? What What's the mission? So I started, just to give a little bit of background, I started as an advocate. So I came as a scholar to call on Congress, which is Fight CRC's sort of cornerstone event where it's our lobby day. And really that's the heart of, of our organization. Nancy Roach was our founder and she wanted to be a squeaky wheel to push for better research, more funding for colorectal cancer, and then also to make sure that patients had a voice where decisions were being made from barriers to colorectal cancer screening, access to treatment, and funding for colorectal cancer. So it was really important for her to have a grassroots advocacy voice for the colorectal cancer community. And I think that we've continued to carry that uh, mission forward, really looking to find a cure for this, this disease. Absolutely. It, tremendous work. I'm such a huge fan of you and the organization, everything you do. There are a lot of nonprofits. So as a patient like myself, who kind of didn't have any type of background at all in CRC before I got diagnosed, it can be fairly overwhelming because there's lots of nonprofits and organizations that focus on colorectal cancer, many with various functions, such as general awareness, patient education, legislative advocacy, funding for research, peer-to-peer -peer communication. These are all kind of in the bucket. Can you talk a little bit about what your priorities are or what makes Fight CRC unique in that field? 
So normally when I talk to a patient and they're looking, you know, I think patients should be as disloyal as possible initially because I think they need to really find their niche and their passion. Mm. They should look at all the organizations and figure out which one really speaks to them. As it relates to fight colorectal cancer, I always say like advocates, activists have a different heart and um, inclination. So our community is really about taking action, making an impact, bettering the community for the future of colorectal cancer, but also for the patient support side. You know, we do deep dives into colorectal cancer. We're there for you when you need a clinical trial. We provide free patient resources, care packages, and we also raise awareness. And I, I like to say that we're a little edgier and feistier because we're an advocacy organization. We want to make sure we're as loud as we can be as it relates to this this particular cancer. This year has not been an easy one for geez, all of our organizations. And, and in terms of screening for CRC, um, getting people to go to the doctor, getting people uh, checked out. Can you talk a little bit about what you've seen? Obviously, we're in a pandemic still. How has that made your work that much harder when it comes to getting people aware and screened? Well, you know, I think there for a while, everyone sort of stopped for for many reasons. And I think there were higher priorities as it relates to the global pandemic and people taking sure. care of their families and their jobs and their kids. But the reality is we saw a 90% drop in colorectal cancer screening after March. And then we Ooh, saw wow, a 32% huge. drop in diagnosis, which we know that people were still getting colorectal cancer. They just weren't going right. to the doctor. So we've been very vigilant about partnering with the CDC and other partners like Prevent Cancer Foundation and helping to amplify each other's voices to say, you have to get back to colorectal cancer screening. It's the second leading cause of cancer deaths. Our GI community has been really active in making sure there are safe procedures for people to go get screened. There are non-invasive screening tests and options for patients. So really just reminding people when you're ready, it's time and not to delay. Absolutely. And and there's been a shift in the age as well. I mean, we've we've recently seen this push to lower the, you know, screening age from 50 to 45 recommended for people who don't have uh, family history or any symptoms, just the average risk person, right? Yes. So it's interesting. Someone said, oh, you know, global pandemic's happening right now. You must be slow. <laughs> like we have not been <laughs> slow. <laughs> like there's nothing slow about it. We've been trying to provide really solid mental health and support and community. But then in the midst of all of this, the U.S. Preventive Task Force announced that they're reviewing the screening age to drop to 45. And, and for context, when they say that, everyone is going to be focused on lowering the screening age. ACS was the first to take sort of that step forward to reduce the screening right. age. But the last sort of guidance um, or guiding body is U.S. Preventive Task Force. And so our team came together, partnered with other groups to make sure that our comments were heard by USPSTF. And so we had over 1,500 emails that went to advisory committee via an action alert to say, hey, we know the science is there. So please listen to our community. There is a sense of urgency to reduce the screening age. I would say that most of the people we've spoken to on this podcast have been under, have been diagnosed at least under 45. And so it seems like just through the communication we've been having on here, it would make a huge difference. I completely agree. I mean, early age onset is an issue that we've just struggled with as a community. You know, I, I think it's, right. it's heartbreaking to see families um, impacted by colorectal cancer, but to see, I heard about the pups, um, pup pack. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
And, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when you watch these stories, Crazy. it just breaks your heart. And we want to know why. why. Why the heck is this happening? So we have a group that's focused on research. And much of our team on that in that space are public health focused. And we have over 400 researchers that have come together to talk about early age onset um, and why. And that's sort of been the role that Fight CRC has been really proud to play is as a safe convener for the research community and to amplify the work and to really push the discussion forward and to really infuse a sense of urgency within the research community that this is this is not a curiosity, but people are dying and the people who are dying want answers and they want better treatment options. Ultimately, we want to see a cure for this, for our early age onset, but for our larger community as well. So in June, we'll be hosting an early age onset um, forum for researchers and patients. And what we really want to see is a bridge between the patient community and the research community so that these aren't two things happening in isolation and that our researchers really know what patients are feeling and seeing and how they're presenting and what type of quality of life they want to see as they go through treatment. And can I ask for our listeners, what would be considered in the sense of a demographic for early onset? What is the age range that is considered early onset? Anything under 45. And you mentioned the pup pack. So these are, it's so, it's heartbreaking, Um, but also inspirational because these young people are so brave and amazing in facing this disease. Because with the pup pack, we're talking about kids. Kids with colon cancer, you know, 12, 13, 15, 17 years old. And it's shocking. You know, you ask the, we always ask the question, you know, I mean, how, how is this happening? Why is this happening? And thank you for helping to lead the charge in tackling that and figure out what's going on. So let's dive into the guy problem. So man up to cancer, our tagline is simple. We want to inspire men to connect and avoid isolation during the cancer journey. Because in general, like I always say, when diagnosed with a life-threatening illness, men tend to check out and women tend to reach out. And that's a gross generalization, but it's backed up by plenty of anecdotal evidence and lots of science. It's hard to get men to go to the doctor to get their cancer screenings. Um, Can you talk about, you know, is this something you have seen in your work with Fight CRC? So I'll go back a few years. Um, When I was at the Center for Colon Cancer Research, I started a program working with barbershops to get African-American men screened. Um, We developed Mm. guidelines and training programs for barbers to engage. I think we got over like 8,000 people to pledge to get screened. But that wasn't the piece that was so illuminating for me is that when I was in South Carolina, I feel like I was a road warrior. I just went to barbershop after barbershop (laughs) after barbershop and um, really got to be really good friends with these guys. And if you haven't been in a a barbershop recently, I mean, it's just... It's like a guy cave, like it's a man cave, basically. (laughs) People just like hang out. And so I would go in and be like, hey, let's talk about colorectal cancer screening. And I would say the first thing that I would hear is like, hey, no, no, nobody's going there. Like nobody's, no, 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 no. Like that's not happening. Um, But they were very willing to talk about their poop and farts and like, you know, their (laughs) biggest farts that they've had. And I was like, well, that's great that you woke up your wife, but like, seriously, like look behind you when you poop and like figure out what's going on. And Uh, we really had to break down some barriers that, you know, getting, getting a colonoscopy, especially if you're nervous about it, or if there's a machismo factor, it's, it's better than having cancer. And then also really just making sure that people know there are other options. So if you have no family history, you have no signs and symptoms, and you're 45 and older, you know, look at what these other options are that you're comfortable with, because you don't have to just have a colonoscopy either. 
Totally. I mean, I talk to people all the time when they're like afraid of a colonoscopy. I'm like, you, you think that's uncomfortable? Try going through my past three years. I know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and not just the, you know, not just the physical aspect, the emotional and then the financial. I mean, I just, I can't get over, you know, preventative care. I know there's barriers, but I just can't get over how people can think, you know, how can you just avoid the prevention when you catch things early? That's when you prevent Mm-hmm. You know, getting cancer, you got to, and if you're going to be there for your family in the long term, you have to take care of your health. And beyond screening, I think that, you know, for our male survivors, I think what you're doing is so commendable. I mean, Trevor, I think that there has to be a safe place for men to talk about um, life after cancer and also mm-hmm. the challenges that are unique to men. And sometimes you just need another guy who's been there to to say, hey, I totally get it. And I think with rectal cancer patients specifically, I think there's some very unique challenges. And so having that, that other person who's been there, I think is so important. Thank you. I appreciate it. And, and when we talked the other day, you mentioned a couple um, other personal stories. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Maybe I think it was a family member that, oh, you know, so my stubborn father-in-law. Yes. I'd be oh, happy yeah. to talk about him. I love him dearly. <laughs> um, we all have them. It's okay. I, we all have them. I'm going to just Asterix, I love him, but I've been in colorectal cancer for a really, really long time. And um, so five years into working in colorectal cancer, and I mean, I talk about colorectal cancer all the time. And so he was like, oh yeah, you know, I've had, um, we were at dinner one time and he was like, have I ever told you I had a colonoscopy? And I was like, yeah, you know, but he's like, did I ever tell you that I had over 10 polyps? And I was like, what, (laughs) what are you talking about? And it was just like very, you know, casual over dinner. And I was like, what the heck? Like one time, like he's like, no, over the last two colonoscopies, I've had over 10 polyps. They always find polyps. And I was like, oh my gosh. And he goes, but you know, this isn't like the stuff you want to talk about. And I was like, oh my gosh, you are exactly why people don't get screened or, and I think that's a really important thing. It's not just finding cancer. It's your history of polyps. So even if you have benign polyps, Maybe your son or daughter may not have benign polyps. So how that manifests um, in other family members, it's important to know. I always call him my polyp factory. You probably have seen me maybe talk about him in that way, but he is. (laughs) Like every time he gets a colonoscopy, he has a polyp. And his most recent colonoscopies as he's gotten older and risk is one of, I mean, age is one of the major risk factors is now he's starting to see precancerous polyps. And so we are so grateful that he is so vigilant about it because I, mean, I could get teary, but I'm just like, you right. have to get those removed. And so I started my husband at 35 and got him screened. And now he's on a five-year schedule to get screened because, you know, I, I'd rather be safe than sorry. Like if I was sitting at that table, I'd be like, do you know who this is, man? Like this <laughs> no. is the president of Fight CRC. Like the, this is like one of the people in the... <laughs> But she's going to take her polyps very seriously. He ever since that day, because I think I just like basically beat him over the head and like couldn't believe that this was happening. But ever since that, like every time he gets a colonoscopy, he does a strong arm selfie. Every time he goes to the doctor now, you you know, fight seriously swag. And now he's like the poster boy for, um, for that. And then what the best thing was he saw, I took a picture of him once and I posted it and somebody had responded and said, oh, you know, thank you for sharing. Um, I really needed to to go get screened. And I think it's those connections because now 
he will not, I mean, he will not hold back. If somebody, he, I go to a soccer game for my son and he's got a fight CRC t-shirt on, fight CRC yes. hat on. And he's like, who gets screened? So he's a, he's I a love it. Oh my gosh. See, I gotta, I think I might have to have him on the podcast. And I think that every family should have an Angie Davis in there being like, Hey, let's, let's talk about your colon. Uh, and again, when I was diagnosed, I'm a college educated, pretty smart person, you know, journalist and when they told me, you know, you have colon cancer, like, or when I went for the colonoscopy, sorry, let me back up. Before I went for the colonoscopy, when I found out I was severely anemic, my primary care doctor said, you got to go for a colonoscopy. And I was thinking like, I'm not 100% sure what part of the body my colon is. Like, is it in my <laughs> rectum? Is it above my rectum? Is it my intestine? And it's embarrassing to even admit that. But like, sometimes basic anatomy is the first barrier for understanding this. So, And we get a lot of folks who think it's your prostate. So if you get your prostate checked, does not mean that you got your colon cancer, like you did not get checked for colon cancer. So that's right. something that <laughs> right. we hear a lot yeah. about. <laughs> so we need to have you around every holiday meal, like after everyone like, has their festivities done, be like, okay, yeah. time to talk about our colons and our <laughs> rectums. Yeah. Well, it sounds like also from what she's saying, men need to understand that there's two things that have to go, like there's two right. tests that go up that area for men yes, for two absolutely. different types of cancers, not just right. all an all for one situation. You don't get an all for one. Yeah. No. <laughs> So let's talk about health equity a little bit. The push to have men appropriately screened for CRC is especially a challenge in minority communities, black men, uh, Latino men. Can you talk a little bit about, you mentioned that a little bit, I think before, but talk about what Fight CRC is trying to do to um, connect with those communities. You know, we have been very um, dedicated to making sure there's diversity in the faces that represent fight colorectal cancer and those stories. Absolutely. Um, And I think that, it's not easy um, to get men to come out and tell their story. So, I mean, Trevor, you came out and shared your story and has been you've been a part of our ambassador group. And then, you know, having others like you be willing to share their story, I think, is is really important. And then as it relates to minority communities, having more minority faces um, so that men can see themselves in in these stories is really important. And also just to be, Definitely. you know, we need it translated. We need to make sure it's it's spoken in a way that that resonates with them. But what I found, especially when I was working in South Carolina in the Black community, you know, it goes beyond just um, sort of a machismo factor. It's it's this misunderstanding that's been shared generation over generation. It's that vulnerability of, of preventative care, and then also. You know, in South Carolina, I used mm-hmm. to always hear stories that are like, oh, well, you know, you find cancer when you allow air up your rectum. And I was like, what do you mean? They were like, mm. no, it's the air that causes cancer. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. Like the air oh, does boy. not cause cancer. So it's just <laughs> working with families and being okay. Like that was the one thing I I learned was especially working with um, communities of color. It's, it's being okay with whatever comes out of people's stories. Like, if that's what they believe, that's totally okay. That doesn't make you dumb. That doesn't make you misinformed. It's just truly what they think. And, and that's okay. But we just need to make sure to, to be there to myth bust a bit. And then also bridge relationships with healthcare providers to say there are amazing healthcare providers that you can trust um, and also look like you. I think that's important. You know, access to healthcare, I think, is one of those things that obviously has been top in the communication that I've been hearing right now is like really about how to make sure that access to healthcare is not an equity issue. Right. You know, mm-hmm. absolutely. So speaking of myth busting, some men that I know, um, in the CRC, no, no name dropping, <laughs> no names, uh, in the CRC world, like 
They're like, yeah, you know, I don't want to get involved with Fight CRC or any of those other groups because it's all just rah, rah stuff, like hold hands, kumbaya, rah, rah, like awareness. And I'm like, well, actually, it's way more than that. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of and and what they say is I want to get involved with something that's like science oriented and and um, action oriented where we can, you know, I can work on the science piece of it and and really work toward um, better treatments. And I'm like, well, talk to Fight CRC then because they are doing that. Yeah. And you have opportunities for for those kind of science minded people to get involved. Can you talk about sure, maybe sure. one or two and of I, your programs? Or I think RATS, we affectionately call this group RATS. I think the first time I brought this up, people mm-hmm. were like, RATS, what are RATS? It's our research advocacy training support program. And so one thing that's really important about this program is that we really work with um, survivors to go from my story to our story, and so that they're able to work with researchers and represent the broader community. So we do training programs with them on basic science, how does science um, work, biology, biostats, clinical trial development. And then we work specifically with our group to place them on committees where decisions are made. So you kind of mentioned like earlier, like I'm on a lot of committees, but I think that the important part is, it's not just being on these committees. It's that these committees are really directing the trajectory of the research. So I think what's in, I think that men need to know that they need to show up in these committees, because if not, we won't know what those nuances are that are impacting men specifically. How do, uh, if guys hear that and they're interested in learning about the RATS program or, or more of your programs, what's the best point of entry for them? I would say go to our website and or yep. email us. The lead person on our RATS program is mm-hmm. Reese. And so I'll just give her a plug. Reese, R-E-E-S-E at fightcrc.org. And you can email Reese. Reese and- is awesome. She's great. She would love to talk to you about how to get involved in, in rats. But here's the caveat I would say is that when people say they want to get in research, it's a marathon. So it's very different than awareness and handing out bracelets and sharing your story. It's not a one-time event. It's our rats are like years committed to to these relationships because it really is about building relationships in the research community and being with us for a very long term commitment. So that's the only caveat I will say is that research is very different in that way. Absolutely. And people can get involved to whatever extent they want. Obviously, the website again, fightcrc.org. And I cut you off in the middle of Reese's uh, email, or uh, yeah, email because I was cheering her on but say, <laughs> you're just uh, such a fan say, if you could um, <laughs> provide that one way. more time and i won't cut you off this time reese at fightcrc.org <laughs> um so call on congress this is one of your signature campaigns slash events uh, tell people who have never heard of it what it what's call on congress so call on congress is our annual lobby day in the past pre-covid we had gathered on the hill in march where over 150 survivors go on the hill and meet with their members of congress and normally what Fight CRC does is we go through a training program the first day, and then the second day we all go to Washington, D.C. and meet with our members. And we set up the meetings for you and provide all the, the sort of patient support that you need. 
This year, because of COVID, we want our best chance at gathering. So we pushed the lobby day till June, and we're just going to continue to monitor whether or not we're able to, to be there in person. But in the meantime, in March, we're going to have our virtual kickoff on March 15th online, and registration will open up in February for that. We'll have an online kickoff, and then um, you'll have access to training webinars and videos that will lead up till June so that you will have an opportunity to activate and engage with your members online and in person. We hope. Fingers crossed. Yeah. So guys, I encourage you to go to fightcrc.org. When it opens to registration, register for it. Put March 15th on your calendar because this is going to be a great introduction to the work of Fight CRC and also to this fantastic opportunity for call on Congress. Things getting through Congress and you know legislation are really how we're moving healthcare forward and that Absolutely. really seems like it's an important part of what you guys do. I agree. And, you know, one of the things I think is really important, we've had some really big victories during COVID. So we've been able to write in language around early age onset, really pushing the NCI to be accountable to the funds. And I think that's really important that we're saying we want to know what you're doing to push for answers around early age onset and what funding you're giving to researchers on this topic. And then we were also able to pass legislation to help our seniors. So if a polyp is found um, prior, they had a cost sharing. And so we were able to pass legislation over the last few weeks that covered the cost sharing for them incrementally over the next five years. So it's been really exciting to see people activate and share their stories, but actually have an outcome that is um, real. Yeah, that's huge. Fantastic. I mean, congrats on those wins. We'll keep it short because I know we're running on time. And I do want to have a gauntlet of random questions with you. <laughs> oh, so fine. just just real quickly, so what does the future hold for Fight CRC? Do you foresee like significant changes in the work that you do? Or is it more about strengthening your existing programs and, and what you're doing right now? I think a little bit of both. I think Fight CRC is maturing as an organization. We're also getting better at what we are good at. Um, and we need to focus on those things. And so I really see Fight CRC as amplifiers um, and conveners. And so as it relates to research, we are going to really dig in and convene thought leaders that are going to move us closer to a cure and start to marry our advocacy efforts to hold these individuals and agencies accountable to that. And as it relates to awareness, you know, I sort of love what you said earlier about awareness being just sort of kumbaya um, and smiles and balloons, because I don't <laughs> think that that's a reflection of our community. So I think that you'll see Fight CRC get grittier about um, stories and what's happening and embrace the relentlessness that we see in the community, because I think without recognizing that, you can't really fully understand how amazing our survivors are and what they've gone through um, and still embrace a spirit of hope. Beautifully said. Uh, I love that vision. And we're going to go the opposite of gritty for the next couple minutes. Um, so gauntlet of random questions is where we, I don't need to tell you that colorectal cancer is a serious topic and it's heavy. It can get very heavy. So right now we're going to spend a couple minutes uh, being very light. Are you prepared for the gauntlet? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> Nervous. First question. What's the best type of cheese? Gouda. Ooh, she went fancy. She got some good points for that. <laughs> Would you rather be forced to dance every time you heard music or be forced to sing along to any song you heard? Both. 
Oh, oh she's uh, she's an outsider. <laughs> she likes she likes to get down, man. Next level. I that's awesome. All right. Who's your celebrity crush? JLo. Oh, yeah, it's a good one. I think we're three for three in yeah, this, yeah. In this <laughs> room. Um, if you could be a hobbit or a giant for a week, which would you be? Hmm. That is so hard. I think you almost know me. I think I would be a hobbit. Yeah, I feel like hobbits get all those breakfasts. They get like first breakfast, second breakfast, third breakfast. I'm all for the multiple meals. And hobbits sing and dance. That's the yeah. Oh Oh, yeah, that's coming around. I'll just be the giant (laughs) that comes and steals all your breakfast. (laughs) If you could only eat one food for the rest of your life, what would it be? Probably fried rice. (laughs) Oh man, I don't know if I solid. I feel like I've never really had good fried rice. Oh my gosh! I don't know. Growing up in Vermont and living in Maine, uh, I don't know. When I think Vermont, I think fried rice. I mean, (laughs) I don't think I've been. I don't think I've had an experience that has really sold it for me. Oh my gosh! I think we need to get together. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Last question before we let you go, and we appreciate your time. It is the question of the decade, maybe pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? There is no middle ground. Oh man, you are not. It's like every time in, you yeah, want, you want to win, and you don't get it. It's kind of we have a divided nation. You know this, and I, you know you what we're divided saying. over. We are divided over pineapple on pizza. <laughs> yeah, but it, like like in the election, the majority has shown that <laughs> that my way is the right way. I just did a poll. I did a poll, and it was like fifty four percent no pineapple. So, but that was I think people were trying to just appease me. Angie Davis, this has been a wonderful conversation. Uh, thank you so much for all the work you do. You are a rock star and Fight CRC is just such a great organization. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. It was good to see you guys. Thank you so much for coming. All right. Hope to connect again down the road. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack doors are always open.